Amen. Good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to December. So I am a good Christian American, which means that I wait till after Thanksgiving to start celebrating Christmas. And so now that it's after Thanksgiving, it's December, we can now uh, move past the, uh, the satanic idol that is put up in Home Depot, and we can move on to Christmas celebration, and hopefully your houses are prepared, our church will transform this week, the buildings as far as Christmas decorations go, and we begin looking towards uh, the celebration of Christ's birth, and hopefully you're going to be preparing your heart for the same. You know, with December comes the season of Advent, and with the season of Advent comes a very special time in the Christian calendar. It's the beginning of the Christmas, uh, or the, the, the entire Christian calendar begins during this season, during these four weeks leading up to Thanksgiving Day. And so as a church family, we're going to be studying through a series of songs throughout Scripture that direct our hearts towards uh, a celebration of the birth of Christ. And so this Advent season is a very interesting season for us because we are balanced between two worlds. We're looking back to a celebration of the birth of Christ while we're looking forward to the return of Christ. And so we balance precariously between celebration and longing, between being satisfied by what he did at his first uh, a coming, but hopeful for what he's going to do at his second coming. And we live in the middle of these time periods, and it's during this time of year that we direct all of our hearts and our attentions towards those things. We really can look back to Thanksgiving and express great appreciation for all that God has done, not just in Christ, but in our church family. As you remember, we went through this Seek First campaign that is still open and going. We had a goal of raising $750,000, and as you as a church family, you have increased your giving by, at this point, $420,000. So we thank you so much for that. That's going to go a long way to push us forward on some of these things that we'd like to see happen in the years to come. But the opportunity to give is still there. You can check the offering boxes as you leave, or if you want more information about what we're looking for in particular and what we're trying to accomplish, you can stop by the uh, Connection Center and get some more information about Seek First. But thank you for all of those who have participated so far, and we look forward to what God continues to do uh, through us as we go forward uh, into these months and years ahead together. For this season, we are calling the series Songs for the Season, and we're going to look at four songs throughout Scripture. And it's going to ask a question of all of us, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Now just think for a second about what it is in your life that you're waiting for. And as you're thinking about that, I was thinking this week that we wait in multiple ways. Sometimes we're waiting for the microwave popcorn to finish. And you see the timer you smell it, you can hear it. Can you smell it and hear it right now? But you're just kind of sitting, right? Idly, watching, waiting, maybe tapping your fingers or you're salivating. That's one form of waiting. We also wait when we're sitting or standing in line at Publix waiting for the next cash register. Your arms are getting a little bit tired or if you have a, a cart or a wagon, it's there. Waiting just kind of Wondering, You might be analyzing how fast or efficient the, uh, the clerk is. You might be wondering at what the person in front of you is wearing. You might be trying to figure out what in the world's happening on the tabloids or any other magazine that's around you. While you're waiting, you're waiting in kind of a different way than you would wait if you're waiting for popcorn. We also wait like we're waiting for the birth of a child. There's this great day out there. 
that we're not just sitting waiting. We're not just watching the clock go by. We're preparing. We're preparing our bodies. We're preparing our minds. We're preparing our homes. We're preparing our expectations. We're refining our budgets. We're, we're doing all of the things that make for good life while we're waiting for this great event out in the future. So I come back to the, the question, what in your life are you waiting for? During this season, what I want us to do is I want us to stir up that longing, that sense of waiting for Christ to return. What I want us to do is focus not on all of the other things that we're going to be busy doing, all important things. I want us to be focusing on what are we doing to wait for Jesus? Yes, he has come, but we want to see him again, don't we? And as we wait for him, as we long for him, as we, uh, as we thirst for his presence, we're going to be looking at four songs. One this morning, we're going to be looking at the song of the prophet from Isaiah chapter 9. Next week, we'll look at the, psalm, uh, the song of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. The next week, we'll look at the song of Mary with a Magnificat. And then finally, on Christmas Eve morning, we'll look at the song of the angels. And this time span is 700 years before Christ to maybe 700 minutes before Christ's birth. And in this span of time, what we want to do is focus our attentions on him. I may or may not have shared with you before that I see Sunday morning worship as a real critical time in my week. It's the one time of the week that I can recalibrate my thinking to the right things. I'm thankful that it's at the beginning of the week. I'm thankful that it's the very first thing that I do to, to tithe my energies and my, and my joys to the Lord, but it's the beginning of the week that sets our mindset right for the rest of the week. And I want you to do the same as we're going through this season. Let's gather on Sunday morning to remind ourselves about the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We've sung about the promise. We've sung about his work on the cross. We've sung about this, long, we've sung about this longing, oh, come, oh, come. Emmanuel, come to us, be present with us. And so hopefully you'll join us in this process over these next four months. But this morning, let's look at the, so the, the song of Isaiah. And if you have your Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter 9. A passage you're familiar with. <clears throat> Prophet Isaiah is, is ministering and preaching in the country of Israel to both mostly Judah, but some to Israel, in the 700s, 10 generations after King David. And it's a time of Israel's history where uh, there is a lot of unrest. There's a lot of unfaithfulness on the part of Judah and Israel's kings. And Isaiah is tasked with the job of going and speaking God's word. You may know that in the prophets, the prophets are not necessarily telling the future, although they speak about the future. They're primarily taking a message from the Lord and delivering it to God's people with the hope that they'll listen, they'll change, they'll conform, and they'll worship the Lord. So Isaiah is speaking to Jude in particular, and let's pick up in the middle of this, uh, this message that he's received from the Lord in chapter 9, starting in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. 
You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness for this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Some great truth in here. Let's pray before we get into it. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning thankful. We're thankful for who you are. We're thankful for what you do, what you've done, what you do now, what you will do. We're thankful that you're unchanging. We're thankful that you have a plan and that that plan is revealed to us in your word. We thank you during this season for the birth of Jesus, our Messiah. Thank you for the gift that he is. He is the child born. He is the son given. He is the one that brings life to us. He is the one that brings light to us. And as we look at this passage this morning, I pray that you would stir in us a longing for the day that we'll see Jesus again face to face. And I pray that that longing will not just be a longing that floats out there, but it'll be a longing that changes our behavior now. I pray that you would guide us in this this morning. I pray that you'd open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. I pray that you'd clear away distractions that we might focus on what you might have for us today through this great passage. And we thank you for that in your son's precious name. Amen. So we're going to look at three things this morning as we look at Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at gloominess, we're going to look at gladness, and we're look, going to look at gloriousness. I know you love the G's, I know you appreciate it, I know you appreciate particularly the use of gloriousness, because it's not a word we use often, and I did Google it, it is actually a word. So if you're there this morning, you're feeling a little bit judgy, uh, it is actually a word, and it's useful. <clears throat> In this passage, we first see gloominess. There's heavy words here, gloom, anguish, contempt, darkness, deep darkness, a yoke of burden, a rod of oppressor. There's these heavy words that are kind of sitting on the backside of the prophet's uh, tongue. It's It's a situation that the people are feeling in their life, so he's not speaking something they don't know. He's identifying something that is real for them. And so in this gloominess, we see two things. The first thing we see is a sense of oppression. Now, historically, and Pastor Bill led us through the history of this time period uh, in detail a couple Sundays ago, but what's happening historically is the north and the northern southern kingdoms have divided. That happened 10 generations earlier. The northern kingdom, for the most part, is a train wreck. They despise the Lord. They run from the Lord. They run after other nations. They are entirely unfaithful, and God has and is going to and will continue to judge them harshly for their unfaithfulness to him. The southern kingdom, on the other hand, is half in, half out. They're faithful, not faithful. Sometimes there's a good king, sometimes there's a not. And if you look through the history of the kings of Judah, they go up and down as far as their faithfulness goes. But in this time period in particular, Samaria, which is the the, the northern kingdoms, 
and Damascus, Syria, above that. And then finally, the Assyrians, all three of them, are weighing down heavily on top of the area of Judah. And they are feeling the weight of this oppression. We know a little bit about this in a, tangi- in a, in a very tangible way by looking at the news right now. Gaza feels a sense of oppression. Israel has felt, felt a sense of attack. Ukraine is feeling a sense of dominance and, and power. There's this, this, this physical tension that is happening in the world, we see it. That same tension was being felt in the land of Judah. They were watching as enemies were rushing at them from outside. If, if you read through from chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 9, it, it's, it's sad and it's heartbreaking at the devastation these people were feeling. They were in desperation because there was these pressures coming oppressively upon them. So it is right for Isaiah to use words like anguish, contempt, darkness, deep darkness. There's there's a pain and a torment that they were feeling because of the oppressors. Now we may look at that and say, you know, those poor Judeans, they were just martyrs to this bigger cause and there's these big bully nations coming in and smashing them and keeping them down. But what we need to remember also is it's not just oppression. But what we see here is rebellion because Isaiah is speaking to a people who are rebelling against the Lord. It's not just that they are innocent and and these bad guys are coming at them. It's that they have actually chosen willfully to disobey the Lord and run from him. If you were to look back up at the chapter chapter 1 of Isaiah in in verse 1, it says that Isaiah is, is prophesying during the times of Uzziah, of Jotham, of Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Uzziah was a good king at the beginning, then he lost his bearings. In fact, at the end of his life, he was, uh, he was cursed with leprosy because of his unfaithfulness, because of his unwillingness to obey the Lord. And because he was stricken with leprosy, he could not rule, and his son Jotham took the, t- took the reins. And Jotham was a good king, but he did not entirely clear out the nation as he could have. So he was a good, evil king combo. Ahaz was a total train wreck. And Ahaz is the king that is probably in power during this time that Isaiah is speaking particularly because it's described that God is not listening to his people. Even though they cry out to him, even though they offer sacrifices to him, his ears are closed to them. Go back with me to chapter 8. And Isaiah is speaking, starting in verse 11. He said, the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me. And he warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many uh, many shall uh, stumble on it, they shall fall and be broken, they shall... Be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. Listen, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. Let that sink for a second. God is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. Jacob is the southern kingdom. Because of their unfaithfulness, God is actually not listening to them. And that, if you think about that, That would really smart, wouldn't it? Have you ever been in a place in your life where God is not present? Have you ever had one of those moments where there's just darkness? 
Remember when I was in college, I went through this period where uh, anything that I thought that I put my trust in, it was removed from me. The stability of my parents' marriage and family, my family was deteriorating. The sense of friendship and connection and relationship around me was deteriorating. My future goals for my career were deteriorating for me. And what I saw, I kind of saw myself falling down this pyramid and everything that I thought was going to hold me would break away. And at the very bottom, there was only one thing left, and it was God. And I remember when I landed there, it was void. It was quiet. It was dark. God's face was turned away from me. And there's nothing darker. There's nothing more hopeless. There's nothing more pitiful in the truest sense of the word than being in a place where God is not listening. And he doesn't listen because of our sins. Judah was in a place where they had rebelled against God so much that he was turning his face from them. You know, we oftentimes sing that song, The Legacy, or we see the prayer out of Numbers where it says, may the Lord's face shine on us, right? May his countenance be towards us and may he give us his peace. That's my prayer for my children. That's my prayer for me. Judah was not experiencing the face of the Lord. In fact, they were facing the backside of God's head as he turned away from them. So the gloominess that they were living in was real, but the gloominess they were experiencing was not only the oppression outside, but really it was a consequence of their own rebellion from the inside. But God is a God that does not leave us in gloominess. God is a God who delivers gladness to us. And that's the next thing we see, we, thing we see in this passage. Into the gloom, Isaiah says, The Lord would bring great light. He would bring joy. He would cause them to rejoice. He would cause them to be glad. He would divide the spoil, speaking about a victor coming in and taking the spoil and dividing it among the people. There would be a great harvest. He would break the yoke of the people. All of these are, are, are glad, happy, joyful signs. And If you've ever been in piercing darkness and then somebody turned a light on, there's great joy in that moment. Ah, I can see. I remember as a kid, I used to play flashlight tag with my grandfather. In the basement in Kansas City, he would turn off all the lights and me and some neighbors would scurry in the dark trying to find cover, only to have him turn the light on, flashlight, to find us. And obviously, if he got the light on us, we would be be stuck. So we would creep around in the darkness feeling and fumbling for a place to hide only to hear his footsteps and the light come on and get us. And in that moment, yeah, we didn't want to be caught, but there was a sense of, ah, now I know where Grandpa is. When the Lord's light comes in on our lives, we know he's present. Depending on what you're doing in your life, you may like the light or you may not like the light, but at least there's comfort in knowing that the light is there. The people of Israel would not live in the gloominess of their rebellion and oppression forever. Rather, God would bring gladness in the presence of his light in the the here and now, but also for eternity, which is something we're waiting for. And the gladness came in two forms. One, it came in the form of deliverance. God would, he promised in Isaiah 7, he promised in other passages that God would establish a righteous king, that the unrighteousness of the world would not endure, but rather a faithful king would come. Chapter 7, he has a name. His name is Emmanuel. We'll come back to that in a minute. But in this passage, the deliverance comes in the form of light dispelling the darkness, about a, a power breaking up the enemies and releasing the spoil, 
bringing harvest to hunger, all great words of, of, of deliverance when God is, is, is opening up the floodgates and allowing victory to come rather than oppression. There's hints here of the oppression of the exodus, and there's hints here of the deliverance through Gideon with the Midianites, if you remember those stories. If you're not familiar with some of these stories, I encourage you to read the Old Testament. Some great, great stories in there that all have pieces, play pieces of the puzzle for us as we look at what Christ has done for us. But it's not just deliverance. It's broken silence. The silence that God was interacting with his people with is broken. If you have your Bibles, look over at the book of Amos. Amos is prophesying at about the same time. And in Amos chapter 8, I'm listening for pages to see if you guys are actually following. I know some of you are on your phones and you're thinking this is so easy. Amos is speaking about the same time period as Isaiah. And this is what he speaks about with regards to silence. In verse 11, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from the north to east. They shall run to and from to fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Let's think for that a second. A famine of God's word. I mean, we know what it feels like to be hungry sometimes. You know? But imagine a famine of God's word. What Israel, was, rather what Judah was experiencing at the time, Israel before them was God being silent towards them. But it's into this silence that God speaks. It's into this silence that God gives promise. It's into this silence that God promises the deliverer. And that should give us a sense of gladness. Again, one of the worst things that I can experience is God not speaking. And I, I think about that time period between Malachi, the Old Testament closing, and John the Baptist coming and speaking, Messiah is on his way. There were hundreds of years of God not talking. That's not something we are familiar with because we have God's word in front of us. We can read God's word anytime we want. But imagine God being silent. It's like when we go about ignoring our friends for a time. There's a longing for a relationship. There's longing for communication. There's longing for connection in some way, shape, or form, but we're being snubbed. It's kind of let yourself rest in that because it's the gladness that erupts that that brings joy to us and changes our hearts. God is a God that breaks the silence. And it's into that silence that the bright light of Christ's presence, the bright light of God's promise, the bright light of redemption shines so that where there was darkness, there's now light. Where there's no face, now there's the full face and countenance of God. Whereas there was no direction or or knowledge as to where to go, now we see God's hand grabbing us and leading us forward. This is the gladness that Isaiah is proclaiming to the people of Judah. It's the gladness that you and I are celebrating, looking back at the birth of Jesus. We're longing for, looking forward to his final return. And it's in this gladness that we rest. And that erupts, obviously, into the best word here, gloriousness. The gloriousness of God is wrapped up in one person. It's the child. 
born. It's the son given. First, Isaiah speaks about this child who was born. And as you know, every child needs a name. If you have children, you know the process of going through and determining a name, finding out what that name is, finding out what that name means, seeing the significance of the name. Every child needs a name. And Isaiah tells us what his, his name is. In chapter 7, he says the Redeemer's name is what? For a virgin will give birth to a child and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. It's brought back into the New Testament. In chapter 9, Isaiah says, and his name will be called what? Counselor, Savior, Father, Peacemaker. His counsel will be wonderful. His deliverance will be mighty. His fatherhood will be forever. His peacemaking will be a reign of peace because he is the prince of peace. These are the names given to this child, and this should stir in us a sense of great passion, excitement, joy, thankfulness, appreciation. It should stir in us a sense of obedience. It should well up in us a sense of, I want to live and die for this. I cannot wait for Jesus to come. But Jesus has already come. And so we live in this interesting tension where Jesus is here, but yet we don't always live like he's here. We're waiting for something to happen yet future, but it's already happened. But it's going to happen in a big, bigger, better way later. This Advent season is a time for us to think about what is coming and change our behavior in the present. The reality of what's happening then needs to change our lives now. We can't wait. In this gloriousness, the child is born, and the child's name is Jesus. Our Jewish friends would connect all of these prophecies to Hezekiah. Hezekiah is the king that follows the train wreck Ahaz. And Hezekiah is a good king. He's a faithful king. He reigned in Israel for, or in Judah for 29 years, brought great reforms. But you and I know that the true lasting Emmanuel is not Hezekiah 700 years ago. The true lasting Messiah is Jesus. That's why we call ourselves Christians, right? Because Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is the everlasting father. Jesus is the prince of peace. And so we rest in the fact that our gloriousness has been born. And we celebrate that during this season. I ask you, I beg you, I plead with you as I plead with myself, let's not miss Jesus in this. Let's long for him, even though we're longing for so many other good things at the same time. We long for the gloriousness of the child born. But we're also longing for a son given. Whereas the child would be born among the cattle, the Lord of glory, the son would be given on the cross at Calvary. And that son is going to reign. Isaiah says the government will rest upon his shoulders. Where are we? I get so excited I lost my place. Hold on. In case you're wondering, I do use an iPad as my Bible. So for you who are thumbing through, I've actually been using this as my Bible for a decade. Thank you. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. I've been reading through the Old Testament in my times with the Lord. It's amazing how many times justice and righteousness are brought forward as far as what God desires for his people. We need to be people who are righteous because Christ was. We need to be people who are just because that's how God's heart beats. His reign will be just and it will be righteous. I love how the book ends in Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus is coming on the horse. What is written on him? Faithful and true. And he will judge with righteousness. I love that. The Lord Jesus that we are waiting for, the Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace, he is coming and he will reign with righteousness and with justice. We want to usher in that kingdom. The glorious gladness of Christ will pierce the gloom of our life. But what are we supposed to do with this? And this is the question that I want each of these songs to stir up in us. What would this song have us do right now? What would this song have us do today? When we think about gloominess, and we think particularly about the fact that the gloominess Judah was experiencing was not necessarily only an outside reality. It was consequence of an internal heart. And so when we think about gloominess, what I want you to consider, and I want, think what this passage causes us to consider is we need to consider repentance. You may look at your life and say, man, there's so many bad things happening to me. There's so many awful things out there. This world is so hard. There's so much darkness. And it is true. But some of that might have to do with your own sin. We can make case after case after case in Scripture that every bit of harshness or difficulty is not a direct result of my personal sin, but sometimes it is. So I think this passage causes us to be introspective and consider repentance. Pastor Bill Hood talked about this about three weeks ago. If you missed that sermon, go back and listen to it. We need to see in our lives the areas that we have misstepped, and we need to turn from that. Turn our attentions, turn our hearts, turn our behavior, turn our actions. And if you're facing gloom, you're facing darkness, it might be because of personal sin. Now, what I don't want to happen is for you who are having difficulty to go on an internal witch hunt and drive yourself into a sense of further darkness. It's not the intent. But I do want you to not forget that sometimes our sin causes consequence that we blame on other people. And we need to be people who are constantly looking at ourselves, not just internally, initially when you come to Christ, Jesus calls us to repent. The Apostle Paul calls us to repent, to turn from ourselves and turn to God initially. But ongoing, day after day after day, the Christian life, breathing of Christian life is repentance. It is, God, what have I done today that is out of alignment with you? God, where am I needing to correct myself? Where are you needing to work in me? Search me, find me, look inside me. Let me see myself for I truly, who I truly am so that I might turn and be more like you. Because in the end, when we're standing before the Father, the goal is for us to look just like Jesus in our hearts. So how are you needing to conform, to adjust, to change? How do you need to repent? 
as you look at your life. When we look at gladness, I want us to correct our perspective. Sometimes we live our lives as if Jesus has not come. We are so much longing for his return, we forget that he's here. And what I want us to do is develop a sense of awareness of God's presence. Now, in the you know, 10 times or so that I've preached before you in these, these last couple of years, I talk about awareness a lot because it's something God is doing in my life. I do not want to be not alert to God moving around me. I do not want to miss where God is moving, how God is moving, and what God is intending for me and for us. And I want you to be in the same boat with me. I want to be aware perpetually of God's presence. God, how are you moving? How are you speaking? How are you guiding? How are you changing? How can we be more in alignment with where you are wanting us to go? That's how I want us to live. And so when I look at the gloominess of Judah and the gladness coming upon them, I think I want to make sure my mindset is right, that my perspective is right. And as I started, we stand kind of precariously between these two things, the, the first coming of Christ, which was glorious, and the final coming of Christ, which will be glorious. And in the middle, Boca Raton Community Church and each of us is standing, celebrating the past, longing for the future, and living with the reality that God is alive and active in us right now. We need to correct our perspective with regards to the already not yet nature of our lives with God. And thirdly, when we talk about the gloriousness, we need to commit to patience. Let's go back to waiting. Some would think that waiting for Christ's return is sitting arms crossed, tapping foot, waiting for the microwave to get down to zero. We're beginning to smell Christ's return. We're beginning to salivate about his return. We can't wait for his judgment to come because we want them to pay, but we're not doing anything because we're just waiting for the buzzer. Some of us are sitting in line in Publix waiting for Christ's return, and we're impatient because there's so many people in front of us. And how could the cash register not read that creamer bottle again? You ever try those... I don't know if you buy the creamer. It just doesn't scan properly. Never. Just move the label over. Just move it. But we're waiting impatiently for something to happen in front of us, and we're kind of all messed up in our brains because we're, we become bitter and frustrated. We need to develop a sense of waiting for the birth. The birth has happened, Jesus' birth. I'm talking about the birth of his new reign working faithfully every day until he comes again. Getting up in the morning, spending time with him, looking for opportunities to praise him in the way that we live, making sure our attitudes are in alignment with where he is, considering repentance in our lives, changing our perspective so that we get up and we move actively because we're, we're not waiting like, we're waiting like, let's, let's get busy until he comes. We need to be busy serving faithfully, individually, corporately, investing our lives in each other, doing the things that God would want us to do every single day until the Lord Jesus comes again. And he will definitely come again. We need to consider repentance. We need to correct our perspectives. We need to make personal and dedicated commitments to patience day in and day out until that great day 
where everything we hope for is going to be in our hands. Everything we long for is going to be around us. And we'll be able to live in his glorious presence every day, all day, forever. That's the God we're waiting for. Let's pray. Most high God, we, we honor you and we respect you. We love you. We appreciate you. God, we know that you are a God that is just. Your expectations are high. But God, you are also a God that speaks to us and empowers us and resides with us. We know that you are a God that has promised and has delivered already, and you are a God that still is promising and still is going to deliver. We know that's true. And so as we wait, Father, I pray that we would not wait with feet tapping, that we would not wait with arms crossed, that we would not wait with bitterness, that we would not wait with a sense of personal impatience. But rather, God, I pray that we would be people who wait with longing and thirsting and craving. I pray that we'd be people who are seen as active and pushing and driving towards righteousness. Lord, and in these weeks to come, as we look at these songs, I pray that you would stir in us a great spirit of anticipation as we sing together these songs for the season. God, please do your work in us that we might be more like you, more like your son. We pray that in his precious name, the name of Emmanuel, the name of Jesus, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our eternal father, our prince of peace.